And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he is the pig to my frog, Perry Seibert. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going to go with this this week. I'm yeah, good with that. That was good. That was solid. There were only 25 characters to choose from. So. I know. You <laughs> picked none of those 25. None of those 25. Nope. Nope. <laughs> uh, that, that little hint was a allusion to the fact that we are talking Nashville today, uh, continuing our Robert Altman marathon, which we are doing a nice leisurely stroll through. And I am Really excited to talk about this movie with you, Perry. Uh, when we get pig here, we will be ready to record this year <laughs> podcast. That's very good. That's a very good Henry Gibson. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, before we get into this, uh, we are going to start with a little bit of housekeeping. On Thursday, July 21st, this is for all our listeners in the metro detroit area or people who are up for a drive or uh, a flight or a flight i mean this will be awesome yeah yeah it's on you megabus from uh, chicago whatever however you can get here yes uh join us at the maple theater in bloomfield hills we are going to be hosting that night's secret cinema Uh, it starts at 7 30 you will not know what you're seeing until you're in your seat and that movie starts playing. Um, but I can tell you it is from New Hollywood, uh, which means it's after, what is that, 1963? I forget when she marks it. I think it's 68, Okay, it sounds about right. It could okay. be earlier. I don't, it's, you know, it's arbitrary. Yeah. But yeah, you won't know what it is. Uh, you'll get to hear Perry and I introduce it. You'll get to see us introduce it, actually. And stick around after and there will be a Q&A with us. And uh, so, yeah, it's going to be fun. You can go to the Maple Theater's website and purchase your tickets. Perry, do you have anything to uh, maybe hint about, about what people might be in store for? Let me think about that. Let's let's do this. We are talking about Robert Altman's Nashville today, a movie with 25 prominent speaking parts uh, and and even more actors than that. And what I will tell you is that uh, one of the performers in Nashville is in our movie that we are presenting at Secret Cinema. All right. That's, that sounds good. Um, so we hope you'll join us for that. Uh, before we get into Nashville, Perry, it's been a minute. Uh, what have you been watching? Uh, I have finally got to dip my toes in the 2022 Sundance films. Nice. And so I wanted to give a shout out to good luck to you, Leo Grand, Emma Thompson's new movie, this, a two person chamber piece about a 63 year old uh, d- d- a widow who has uh, played by Emma Thompson, who's had a very uh, unsatisfactory life to this point. And so in order to expand her horizons, she has, uh, she has hired a male sex worker (laughs) and it is a, it is an hour and 37 minutes of two people in a room together. Uh, The film takes place over the course of their four dates. Can you hear the air quotes around dates? (laughs) Uh, and it's, it's really great. It's, it's, it's the kind of movie I am very prone to liking. It's, it's very enjoyable talk Two spectacular performances. Uh, the actor who plays the sex worker is Daryl McCormick, who some of you might know if you're a Peaky Blinders fan, shout out to Peaky Blinders season six now available. Uh, this is, uh, it's just really enjoyable. It's, it's just a really wonderful script. It's, it's 
uh, it's like clockwork. You know, it's nothing. It's not gonna. Sh- it's not gonna shake your world. It's perfectly constructed, uh, and it it is. Uh, it, it would be a polite three star review if it didn't have these two really great performances at the center of it, which makes it a really enjoyable three star review. Okay, this is a really likable movie in a lot of ways. With uh, I don't like to call. I I I don't like the idea of bravery. For, for actors and I, as much as I love actors I have a hard time calling any performance brave uh this is this is this is really good work from Emma Thompson and who's an actress I adore so much I named my first daughter after her so <laughs> uh yeah and it is on Hulu right now actually they uh sadly Searchlight decided this wasn't worthy to be in theaters so it's playing on Hulu that's where that's where Disney's dumped this one uh and don't let them dump it check it out it's really good I was really curious about this when I saw the trailer a uh, a few months back because, it, you know, I guess we're going to have listeners ding me on this. But, yes, I'm watching trailers again. Um, but <laughs> I, I forgot. I, I just I, I, forgot. I like them. <laughs> I like them too much. It's too They're much great. a part of my uh, movie experience. Um, but I saw it and I and it looked really interesting. I like Emma Thompson quite a bit. Uh, but there was that movie a few years ago. I don't know if you remember with Helen Hunt. Um, oh yeah, the sessions. The sessions, which I was really mixed on and didn't know if this would be similar to that. Um, but I, I really do like Emma Thompson and and I like the idea behind this. It's they they are absolutely films that would go great on a double bill. They are not the same movie. Okay. I mean, you've got the same, I mean, the same premise is obvious. I mean, yes, you, you could distill them both down to the same single sentence, but they are very, very different experiences. And uh, this is, this is more writerly than the sessions was. And I, that's not a knock on either one. It just is. This feels like a play that was adapted. Okay. And I, that's, again, that's not a knock to me <laughs> where the sessions very much felt like an indie movie. Uh, and that's again, not a knock on that. This is, it, it's it's very good it's 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 worth your time for sure all right i'll have to add that then knowing it's on hulu makes it very easy to just and an hour on. and 37 minutes come nice, on nice nice that never happens anymore everything is two hours 15 these days exactly yeah um well it you know i i recently had a chance to see something new as well um and i'll set the stage because it was a really fun experience so last week i was uh I was in Chicago for some business. And while I was out there, um, I, I had a chance to catch up with a friend. Actually, uh, his name is Kevin McLenathan. He hosts the Seen and Believing podcast, uh, which I have guested on a few times. And it's, a, it's a movie podcast I really like. And Kevin and I, and I had hosted a few times, and I had never met him in person. So I was like, hey, I'm going to be in Chicago. Ooh. Let's grab a beer or something. So we met up, grabbed a beer. And then he told me, hey, I have to go see a movie for my podcast. Do you want to just come with me and, you know, hang out for a bit? And, you know, I I was not going to turn down a movie. Um, So we went out to the Music Box Theater in Chicago, which I had never been to um, and and really loved uh, because it's this great little great little theater that has a lounge area where you can sit and buy a uh buy a drink after the movie and talk about the movie and and that was great um but the movie we saw was david cronenberg's crimes of the future i haven't seen it yet i'm jealous perry how do you do with david cronenberg i love david cronenberg okay um cronenberg is perfect but i love david cronenberg i i will say crimes of the future is a movie that i really respect and i think it has 
some really interesting themes it's it's dealing with. Um, there, there's a little issues I could take with the plot. Uh, it is one of those movies that I can sit there and say I admire it. It is good. If I had gun to my head, a top ten list for my mo- my films so far this year, it would be on there. I can also say it's an experience I don't know if I want to have again. Um, I, I'm not the biggest body horror person, and this isn't really body horror so much as it's a movie fascinated with the body and all its grotesqueries uh, and, and the beauty within that. Um, but it is, it's an interesting movie. Uh, it, it takes place in this world where humans have evolved to stop feeling pain and they are evolving also at a rapid rate. And some people can grow new organs and some people make an artistic living out of that. And that is all I will say, because this is a, weird ass movie uh it it is gross and moist and (laughs) icky uh with a great performance by vigo mortensen really good performance by lea sido uh kristen stewart is in just weird kristen stewart mode and i loved it um so this is a movie that i can't say i enjoyed but it is fascinating some of the themes it's dealing with uh some of the satire in there uh it's it's really, really an experience. Um, and I will say after a month that included Jurassic World and Lightyear and everything I feel like I've seen before, I can look at that movie and say, I have not seen that. And that's a great feeling to be able to have. Even, even if it's not my cup of tea, I, I'm very happy to have seen it. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm, I am very excited for it. I, I really want to see it. I'm intrigued by the fact that, you know, Cronenberg's done what Tarantino threatened to do. Cronenberg's remade one of his early films for his probably final film. This was this was his second feature. Well, uh, and it, and uh, it's a grand reworking of it. It's not the same yeah. movie by any means. But I love the fact that this has been gnawing at him for 40 years that he felt the need to, 50, 50 years that he's decided to revisit this theme one last time to sort of to put a cap on the career. I will be very curious to hear what you think of it once you see it, because I, I have a feeling that for people who are big Cronenberg fans, especially like I, I'm more of a history of violence, dead zone type admirer. Although I really do like the fly. Um, but for, for people who are drawn more to the, the body horror end of things, I, I'd, I'm really curious what you think about it. I, I think you'll dig it. I, I would hope with Dead Ringers as my favorite Cronenberg film that yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Crimes of the Future. It's out in theaters now. I don't believe it's anywhere digital. So get out to a theater. Go ahead and see it if you feel safe. Um, and then Perry, since the last time we talked, I believe you and I have both separately taken rides to the danger zone. We, d- we did. We did separately indeed. Yeah. Um, so yes, we have both seen Top Gun Maverick, the movie that has, of course, saved the box office and proven, in my estimation, that maybe Scientology is true. Um, but uh, yeah, Perry, do you do you want to go? I think we're a little split on Top Gun Maverick. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. No, I'm just not. Look, it's it's a it's a fine summer programmer. That's all it is. I found nothing spectacular or outstanding about it. It's fine. I didn't hate it by any means. I didn't enjoy it much either. (laughs) It's fine. It's product. It's fine product. I don't, I mean, it, 
I think it is less interesting than the first film in almost every conceivable way. And I don't think the first film is terribly interesting, but at least it's honest about its fascism. I think it's, <laughs> this is just a, like, this is, this is Tom Cruise shoring up the base. And I, uh, if I were, if I were a real cynic and I might be, you know, I, I would, I would ask if anybody's written a story about the number of tickets this opening weekend that were blocks sold to Scientology uh, facilities Mm. around the country like they do for the, uh, like they used to do and probably still do for the Christian film market. Uh, Not that a lot of people didn't see this, but those kind of numbers make me go, "Eh, eh, eh." You you don't think (laughs) that many people? I'm curious if that's real. I'm curious if that's, that many tickets might've been sold. I don't know if that many people (laughs) actually saw it. I don't know because I will tell you, I know so many people who just, they don't go to the movies anymore. Uh, you know, family, friends, things like that. They made a point to get out and see this. And I swear it's like been a transformative experience for them. Like to them, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the movies that I missed. And I don't feel quite that way. Um, I, I We're probably more in line than I would have thought because I do think it's a very, very solid, entertaining movie. I had a really good time with it. I will admit, my expectations were really low because I had just revisited Top Gun, which I don't like. And I was really bothered by the fact that that movie is basically two hours of who can be the best in school uh, is what yes. that movie is with yes. five, five minutes of war packed on. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really like, like I, I remember thinking it just took, would take a nudge in a different direction, just a slight one to make Top Gun the air force or Navy equivalent of a police Academy movie. It's oh, it, absolutely. It is, it is a hijinks sex comedy taking itself way too seriously yes um and that is the first top gun for me so i really like that with this top gun they decided to make it a mission impossible movie um you know and and it actually has stakes there's actually the fact that oh we have to train people or they're gonna die and i know there's not real stakes (laughs) tom cruise isn't gonna die but there's a little bit of tension there that i thought went a long way I, i i tend to like tom cruise on the screen so it was fun to watch him. I loved the jet fight. Um, it, it just, it it surprised me. I enjoyed it. Um, I can't say I thought about it too much afterwards. Uh, it, it, that's the thing that's killing me about everybody I've talked to. Even the people who tell me this is so good. I'm like, they don't say that three days later. No one remember you. You remember it's it's it is the worst aspect of the Maya Angelou quote, right? You remember how the movie made you feel. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't remember what it actually did. You don't, <laughs> you don't remember if it's any good or not, but you remember how it made you feel. And that's fine. I, again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm not yucking anybody's yum here. It's, 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 it's solid product. But, oh, come on. That love story is a joke. I, Jennifer Connelly has always been a really weak actress. She still is. And the story itself is terrible. Why are we doing that extra scene where he comes back to the bar at the end and she's not there just so later she can show up the very next scene? Like, why are we wasting time with this? No one cares about the love story. Nobody remembers Kelly McGillis was in the first movie. though. that's a way more interesting love story. Not that it's an interesting love story, but it's better (laughs) than this one. Why am I supposed to care about this character I've never met before when they have a past? Ah, no. (laughs) Miles Teller is 
a poor stand-in for Anthony Edwards. He looks like Anthony Edwards. I'm not saying he doesn't, I'm not saying he's not realistically Goose's kid. I'm saying acting wise, I missed Anthony Edwards. I missed Val Kilmer, both literally and figuratively in this movie. And I, I'm like, this is, what, what? okay, great. If you need the nostalgia trip, great. I don't know what this movie's saying at all that the first one didn't cover. If, you know, now cover your ears, people, for two minutes. If you don't, <laughs> if you're one of the people who didn't see this, as soon as he doesn't die, the movie's wasted. I mean, the movie's a waste of time if he or either he's got to die to rectify the shit he's felt for, for 30 years or Goose's kid has to die and the tragedy is he's going to keep making this happen. Either of those are way more interesting than what happens here. <laughs> I kind of want to see the Top Gun series where Maverick just randomly gets his friends killed and just like swears to do better next time. Yes, that would be <laughs> fascinating. But that, I, that ain't this movie. And this movie is not fascinating. <laughs> There's no furthest adjective from this movie. I, I, I'll i admit I had a really good time with it. I liked yeah, it. I understand but it. I will also say one thing I remember thinking getting out was I don't know how much is covered by, you know, how much of it is due to the fact that, yes, I really enjoyed what was happening in the moment. Um, and and I'll, I'll stand by my review of it. But also how much of it is due to the fact that, oh, I was seeing a big summer movie where actually all the characters were human and not CGI creations. Um, it, it, yes. It, I mean, that that is one thing where I was like, it felt like watching an actual movie as opposed to you know, a video game um, or a comic book or, or things like that. It, I, I appreciated that. Like, it felt like, oh, the stakes aren't high, but there are stakes. They make an attempt at emotion, um, you know, with the most awkward sex scene I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> like, just, just like them cuddling, um, the, I, whatever there but you you go 215 movie time on this length runtime on this movie right and you don't give john ham anything interesting to do that's 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 i I can give you another snapshot for why this what this film doesn't do that it should you've wasted john ham who's up to whatever you want to give him to do he's there to be the you can't fly like that guy that's all he does that's (laughs) all he does and it's a waste i don't (laughs) approve of you i don't approve of you maverick yeah do i respect you yeah yeah i'm like oh my god (laughs) he would do that same delivery on 30 rock and and to comedic effect perfect yes like this it's just like no you don't (laughs) get how ridiculous you are this is and so i know i'm not i understand i'm not saying it's a bad movie i'm saying it is product and it is forgettable and i'm i'm really glad if anybody had such a time that they will remember it that they saw it and had a great time fantastic i didn't (laughs) <laughs> I will say it looks like a masterpiece after Jurassic World Dominion. I would, um, I would believe you. Yes. I would believe you. Tom Cruise and an airplane <laughs> have more genuine chemistry yes. than Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas <laughs> Howard. Well, Bryce Dallas Howard is almost as inanimate as an airplane. So that's that <laughs> makes sense. And and Tom Cruise, for all his problems, is is a more interesting screen presence than Chris Pratt. So yes, yes, that 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 all that all tracks for me. Well, praise Zenu. We got to talk about Top Gun. I'm very happy about that. Uh, and now we can move on to a movie that's actually a movie and it's not product. And this is the most recent, obviously, the most recent uh, entry in our 
Robert Altman retrospective. Uh, we are making our way through this very leisurely, um, but I'm enjoying that because it means I have a long time to be watching Robert Altman movies, which are all new to me. And uh, I am loving this so far. Uh, and so this week we are talking about 1975's Nashville, the drama, comedy, satire that has a musical. cast of musical. <laughs> It has a cast of 25 people. Uh, it, it is a look at five days in Nashville uh, in the days approaching a presidential primary as people throughout the industry, hangers on, celebrities, politicians, lawyers, all go about their business. And that is the best way I can summarize the story of this movie, because that's basically the story of this movie. It is. Yeah, there's not really a story. Yeah, there are. Dozens of stories. Right. Yes. There's um, not a story. Right. Correct. There are dozens of stories. But yeah, I, I so this was my first time seeing it. I'm assuming you've seen it multiple times before. I I have. OK, well, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Because I sure. know this was one when we talked about Altman. I mean, this is a uh, this is kind of you got to put a pin in this one and make sure you hit. We're going to talk about Nashville. Yeah, we have to talk about that. If we're going to do Altman, you have to talk about Nashville. So Nashville is, to put it into perspective with Altman at this point, so from 1970 through 1974, he had, I think it was nine films to that point, just before 90, Panic Needle Park, or I mean, uh, not Panic Needle Park, uh, Cold Day in the Park, is just before 1970. He had almost systematically, every one of those films is, as we've talked about, a new Hollywood slash uh, uh counterculture take on a classic genre of film we we talked about mccabe and mrs miller which is the western we talked about mash which is the war film we talked about the long goodbye which is the private eye film the noir and this is the one that steps back from that and says no this is my take on the country right now this is what i see when i look at america this is a grand directorial statement. This is an artistic statement. And as we were saying, the kind of genius of it is, I don't, I don't exactly know what the statement is. I, I, he just sees it. Uh, he sees it in ways that I think this, this, the only way I can put it is this way, which is, I don't, I, I, I don't necessarily think it's his best film. I have no problem if anybody wants to put it at the top of the list. I, I, I keep McCabe and Mrs. Miller above it just a little bit. But it is the film over my life. And I saw this film first when I was in high school on VHS. Probably not the best way to see it uh, <laughs> since it is a widescreen masterpiece. Uh, but it is the film that gets exponentially greater every time I see it. There's no film for me that expands like that film has over the course of my life. And whether that's every time I return to it, I see something that feels remarkably current and feels like it's talking about right now. And boy, the political stuff has never seemed more on point to me than it does right now that is in that movie. Uh, or whether it's remembering it so much that little throwaway things, I realize, oh, wow, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's actually a giant setup for something that's going to pay off later, except it's not a giant setup because he throws it away. Uh, I don't know how this, I remember Roger Ebert talking about Citizen Kane, that he loved Citizen Kane because you could never remember what scene was coming next. 
because yeah. you can't keep you can't keep track of whose memory who remembers what <laughs> each time yeah. you go back to it uh, there are things in nashville i completely forget happen until i see it again like, oh right this oh wow because there's no there's no there's no necessary plot there's nothing that has to happen there is nothing that drives the next thing you see other than this is of interest to altman <laughs> and it yeah. is of interest to the characters that he has presented you with in the opening 30 minutes of the movie, giving you all of them. It's not like there's some new character that walks in two hours into this two hour and 40 minute movie to, to reconfigure everything. You meet, you meet everybody and then you just follow them. And unlike those earlier films, it really doesn't do the, the overlapping dialogue. It really doesn't. It's a pretty well-written film. I mean, obviously there's stuff that had to have been improvised, but you know, it, it all started with Joan Tewksbury who wrote the screenplay, who all written the screenplay for his previous film. Uh, she was sent to Nashville and Altman said, just make a diary of everything you see for a few days. And that diary became the spine of the screenplay. She got there and there was a traffic accident on the way driving into the city <laughs> she was stuck for two hours in the traffic jam that's how the movie opens <laughs> uh it's that truly slice of life uh and while saying that it's a slice of life it still feels constructed it's obviously written they didn't just go wing this and it turned out to be a miracle it's a script it's a really good one with a lot of really good music and 24 amazing performances and I've rambled, Chris. I want to know what you did because I want to. I want to know about your experience with this because this is, sure. you know, when you told me when we started this that you know, that made me really want to do it. That you've never been through the Altmans. This is a film that it's so hard for me to fathom anybody coming to it the first time. I don't understand what someone experiences seeing this for the first time. So please, please now talk longer than I did. Oh, you just described how I talk about what about Bob to everyone. It's- <laughs> It just expands more every time I see it. Well, I I should also set up and just say, like, my viewing experience for this was not the greatest. Um, So I I was able, between everything I've had to review and write about, it it was finally this week where I was like, I I, I have time. I can clear out two and a half hours to watch Nashville. Kids were gone. My wife was, you know, having to work. I'm like, I have a free night. I'm going to do this. Started up the other night. And uh, probably about 20 minutes in, get a call that the kids want to come home. <laughs> they were with their grandparents and they were homesick. My grand, my, my in-laws live an hour away. So I, I had to do a two-hour round trip to pick up the kids. Um, and it's funny because my wife was asking me, you know, well, what are you watching? Because I was, you know, I was telling her, I got to watch a movie. And I'm like, oh, it's Nashville. It's a Robert Altman movie. Um, and she's like, is it good? And, you know, about 15 minutes in, I'm like, I don't know, because I I don't know what this movie is. I, I can't tell what's happening. And then things just kind of happen. And I don't know who anyone is, which is the way I feel at the beginning of a lot of Robert Altman movies. Yes, yes. Um, and, and I'm like, I, I don't know. And, and I genuinely thought, I'm like, is this going to be the one of these that I don't care for much? Um, so I, I finally got some time last night where I was like, all right, I'm going to basically I had divided it up. I'm like, I'm going to watch half of Nashville last night. I'm going to watch, you know, the rest on my lunch hour and just finish it up. Finish the movie in one set. Yay! Uh, because, oh, my gosh. I mean, this is a movie that it it isn't like you said, it's not about one thing. There is not a, you know, single plot driving this, but it is this sprawling 
tapestry of all these interconnected characters who it you know it, it's weird there's a cast of 25 main characters in this and i feel like by the time the movie ends you have a good idea of the internal lives of most of these characters um they they are real and they draw you into their little stories even if they sometimes like if they're they're not movie length stories all the time they are little vignettes yeah. a lot of times and yet you're so drawn in um to the individual stories while there's still this big picture that you are aware of of the time and place the political climate the uh the way the music industry kind of moves everything in nashville and how it's intertwined with politics and capitalism um and it's just like it, it's immersive in a way few movies are like, it feels like there is a whole world there. And when we were texting today to kind of set up our recording times, I mentioned that, Oh, it's a really good fit for this week because we're coming up on the 4th of July holiday. I don't know that I have seen a better movie about America. Um, Just, just um, in all its flaws and complexities, but also very hopeful and empathetic as well like there is a there is a mixture here of sincerity and cynicism that just yeah goes well it shouldn't go that well together but it does um yeah i, I mean it, it's great and i want to talk about something you said you you talk about how it is this flowing kind of it, it feels improvised in many ways but you're also aware the whole time how good the technical execution is oh yeah um just the the sound design first and foremost which i it it feels like a culmination of everything we've been talking about for the last few months it it feels like you know there's that bar sequence at the beginning of mccabe and mrs miller where you're kind of picking up snippets of conversation here snippets and you don't hear everything but you hear enough to know the gist of what's going on and there are full 20-minute scenes like this in this movie. But they're all rolling into the next scene. And the sound will bleed over into the next scene. And then there's a sequence at the Grand Ole Opry where everyone's watching a performance. But then that performance is also being heard on a radio when it cuts away to another character. So it's yeah. it's uniting everyone. And the it can almost seem like it's overwhelming to hear all these conversations. But... Altman's also so good at just doing kind of a slow track around the room where you hear all these people talking and then focusing on one or two characters and they're the people you're with for the next five or 10 minutes. And then it cuts to another thing. And it, you, you, I was just very aware of how well put together it was, even as I felt like, Oh, this feels just very much like it's happening right in front of you. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's a fantastic movie. I I'm really, it's probably my favorite of the series that we've done so far. Then it, it will probably be your favorite Altman film. Okay. If, if I, 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 this, this really is those, one of those moments where every, as you said, everything a director has been working on comes together into a genuine masterwork. I hate, I hate phrases like that. I've really grown to hate the word masterpiece, uh, but this is, you know, he already, he already had at least one in, in my book to his credit in my book, he had about three, but this is, this is the grand statement. And I, as, as I've gone back to it over the years, and I don't know how many times I've seen it now, eight or nine, probably. Uh, 
and again, that's over 30 years. <laughs> I, don't, I don't watch this every six months or anything. It, what strikes me as, and it's, I'm sure it's my own need to find some sort of, you know, grand unified theory of it all, is I, I like to think of it now as he uses the music scene in Nashville as a stand-in for the movie business and what movies could do in 1975 and what popular art in general can always do. So that's why it doesn't matter that it's, you know, what it is, it's music this time around, but that, you know, he does capture all of the people who are the stars in this world and all of the people who really want to be stars in this world and all of the people who are really talented, who just like to perform and, (laughs) and all of their personal problems uh, leading to, you know, this moment that echoes so much of the recent history, recent for 1975 and to have it end yeah with songs still being sung (laughs) like it is still this sort of and and at no point as ridiculous as some of the songs are and not all of them are um you know we're never invited to belittle the performances or the songs like the art and i'm using that word in quotes is kind of sacred even as ridiculous as some of it is you know, we're, you might, you might be more inclined to laugh at the opening song that you hear Henry Gibson sing this very, uh, 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 uber patriotic song about the, about the bicentennial, but there's nothing in the movie that tells you, you should laugh at that. There's nothing in the movie that says this isn't heartfelt from this character and we learn that this character is someone who really does have values mm-hmm. you know it's like it, and that's really fascinating it, it is almost secretly this love letter to 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 artistic expression yeah and i think that that's something that not that you don't find in any other altman film and it might be the thing that makes this makes makes it more singular than anything else in his filmography the music is so fascinating because, and, and from what I understand, they basically built a lot of the script after understanding what some of the songs would be. Um, and so there's a little bit of shading of the characters that are taken from their songs. And there is this question of how much of it is an act and, you know, how much of it is sincere. But Barbara Jean's songs really inform who she is, this kind of, you know, she can seem kind of like a diva, but she can also seem like she's someone who's really has issues that need to be dealt with She's and unwell. her songs. Yeah. And yes. her songs bear that out. Um, the scene that I think it, it really, it just fascinating how this movie can, burrows into its characters. and makes you feel for them is the scene where, uh, who is the bad singer? Oh yes. Uh, Duellen I'm Gay. Yes. Duellen Gay. When she has this scene early on where she gets up at like an open mic night or something and she sings and she's awful. Right. And it's almost played as comedy. Like, absolutely. Like, Oh, that's, that's funny. She, she thinks she can sing. She can't. But then later in the movie, when she is invited to sing for a bunch of men 
and you see that they they realize she can't sing and it's a joke against her and it's leads to a moment that is so degrading and hurtful and you're almost implicated for laughing earlier oh yeah oh and you just this character who starts off as kind of a comic relief is really humanized by that end scene like i it's a hard scene to watch because you feel dirty after it oh yeah (laughs) um and then the knife gets twisted one more time after that (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) not to spoil anything if you haven't seen nashville yet and i think we're very i mean and again it's one of those things where even if we told you the big thing that happens in the movie and i'm sure we probably will mention it by the end of the movie it's not a spoiler because it's not a story that leads to anything. It's not about that. No, I, I felt like one of the one of the things I, I I thought watching this is all these characters feel like they had you know a good thirty or forty years before the story took place. Well, some of them, some of them had like twenty yeah. years, but they're going to go on tomorrow and have a whole other story that exists beyond the frame. Like it's just this little snapshot. Um, yeah, I'm tr- I'm trying to I'm looking at my notes here too. Um, I, I I think. The political thread is interesting because politics isn't really the point of this movie, and yet it is the fabric of this entire movie, right? Like it's it's yeah. everywhere in there. It's it's that constant sound when they're not singing. That is the constant soundtrack in Nashville. Is this van, you know, with with, with a uh, third party candidate, the replacement things. party, the replacement party who wants to outlaw all lawyers. Uh, you know, wants it, to change the national anthem because nobody knows the second, third, or fourth verse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and because Christmas smells like oranges, uh, and you know it does, it does. Uh, <laughs> but it's funny because I wouldn't say this has like a huge point the finger at you political point to make, but it is telling that several characters are asked to show up at this rally at the end uh, that they decline because they don't want to make a political statement, but they all have their price. They all have their reason for showing up at the end. Sure. And it doesn't turn out great for them. Uh, and it, it well, kind of is, well okay. but she doesn't <laughs> agree to be there. She's just there. Fair, but it does turn out great. It does turn out very good for her. Yes. <laughs> um, but it is almost this, this idea of, politics kind of souring everything and i can imagine that's how they felt back then but you know what it doesn't feel very dated because that's how i feel right now about a lot of that and it's not just politics i mean that's that's a perfect that's a, that's per, a perfectly fine reading of it it's politics souring everything i like it more at this point having just you know just gone through it again going having gone through it again it's it's more for me this really connecting the dots of politics co-opting popular culture that Mm -hmm. it is you know it's about no we will hitch ourselves to this (laughs) to get our message out you know it's no longer you know this film abandons the thought of any sort of traditional political campaign you know (laughs) even though that is what's going on that is the only thing that is sort of driving what plot there is in this movie it's the attempt of these the, uh, you know, a political organizer and a city fixer to put together this event for this politician. And that makes it sound like so much more plot than there is in this movie. The, you know, that, 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 again, it's completely reductive. It makes it sound like a different movie than it is. But that's what's happening over the course of this five days. And, you know, 
I, 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 in, I, I was surfing YouTube for Altman interviews about the movie and came across one where he talked about how the night John Lennon was shot, he got a phone call from, uh, well, I forget which paper, I think it was the Washington Post, saying, uh, do you think you're responsible for this at all? And he's like, why? How? Was well, your your film, your film gave us the the images of of a of a of an artist being assassinated, that hadn't happened before really. And he said, I, I think you all misunderstood what I was telling you, <laughs> if you think that that's the case. And so that put a spin on it that I hadn't thought about before. And that's kind of what I've been thinking about since I saw that interview, which I saw after I watched the movie again. I'm like. Wow, yeah, he really did get at where how how the politics were spinning out of control, mm-hmm. uh, how the messaging was being lost, and they were attempting to co-opt it on a new thing, and that's all really interesting, and that's hard to uh, that's that's a lot to think about in the age of the internet, and, and yet it also like. When, when we talk about the ending, it almost feels, I, I, I worry, we're, it's almost set in the stage that it ends like on a bitter note. And it doesn't because those, those scenes of everyone singing in the crowd at the very end of the movie, they don't feel cynical. Like they no. feel earnest. And it is this movie where, you know, that cynicism is also balanced by by a lot of earnestness and i was i was reading roger ebert's uh great movies review on this and he makes the point that this is a you know and it's why it makes me think this is such a great movie about america it is this movie about how we are all in this together right like this is a movie where every person in this cast crosses paths even if their characters don't know each other even if they don't real like they they don't know hey that guy was in the other scene but you know you'll see someone is the focus of a scene and someone who was in the movie two scenes ago totally unrelated is just be behind them watching the the music or something and they're all in this together and at the end you have this you know they're all at this big dramatic point and they got to figure out you know how do you respond to this and you have um henry gibson's character haven who you know, he gets to show he is concerned about people like he that's that's he's not revealed to be a coward or anything. Like that. Right. He cares for people. Um, you could look at Albuquerque's moment at the very end of the movie as being this kind of, oh, I'm just going to grab my shot. And it's, you know, she's the next big thing. But that's not the context of the scene. It is she's taking her moment and it's treated as a very earnest moment. And everyone is just kind of colliding off each other and it's just it's fascinating because the movie doesn't put a fine point on it but it's definitely there yeah i don't know what altman is saying but boy do i hear him (laughs) yeah it's like i don't it's like i I, you know i i the movie contains multitudes and it is one of those great examples for me of and why it's why as as much as I love talking about movies, I, I kind of do by the old guitar line. You know, the only way to review a movie is to make a movie. And that's what it feels like. It feels ridiculous to talk about Nashville. Yeah. It doesn't, you cannot capture the experience because it's not a story. So it doesn't translate. You need to see the movie and hear the movie <laughs> and watch. I mean, honestly, there, as we talked about, you know, there's 24 characters 
the 24 characters, there are 24 actors named in the opening credits, arguably the greatest opening credit sequence in movie history. I was just going to bring that yeah, up. It's it was- so good. It's so good. And, you know, I would easily, um, uh, 12 of them, you could say your favorite and you're right. Like, I don't, there's, there are, so, they're, everybody's so good. <laughs> everybody's mm-hmm. so good. And everybody gets, you know, not, like you were saying, not even necessarily a scene, but everybody gets at least a moment. We're like, oh yeah, I know who that is. I understand exactly why they're here. I understand what they're doing here. I'm look forward to seeing them show up later at some point in something that's going to go happen here. I don't know yeah. when I'm going to run into them again. Yeah. And I, I mean, everyone gets like, yeah, that one moment. And there's just so, so much detail that's packed into such short scenes as well uh, that informs those characters. Like it, it was about halfway through the movie before I realized Keith Carradine's character um, the entire time he's laying in bed he is listening to himself throughout oh, yeah. the movie and and that says oh, yeah. so much without having to come out and say he really digs himself yeah um, it, that that's fascinating or Lily Tomlin who uh, just you know she's she's great in it but she has one scene in particular where her son who is deaf is describing his that swimming one. lessons yeah and I, I can't describe what she's doing except that she's a hundred percent invested in that conversation, and it just radiates off the screen in such a way that you understand why she makes a choice she makes later in the movie. Yeah, she's and, listening. Yeah, it, it, and you know, then you just have these other characters who some of you know some of them are just really awful human beings, like Ned Beatty, uh, who just is awful uh his character his character ned Beatty might have been a very sweet man for all i know and i hope he was but uh you know he, he was by all accounts when you just think this guy can't get any slimier for laughing <laughs> at sue ellen while she's you know having to you know be jeered at while she's trying to sing and then she has to endure this strip tease and then he makes a move on her and he's just like what what yeah. a slime ball um, and, yeah. and there's this whole motif, too, of men treating women like crap throughout this whole movie and women fighting for their dignity against the men who treat them like crap. Yeah. Or the women who are just simply spit up, chewed up and spit out by the system. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, it's a it's it's a remarkable it's, it's, it's a remarkable film for so many reasons. Yes. <laughs> that being absolutely one of them. And there's there's also this other little thread that goes through too. You brought up how you, you could see this as uh, you know Altman writing about the powers of movies, but there are a few. There are also a few sequences where the world of Nashville music brushes up against Hollywood, and you kind of get this oh, feeling yeah. of tension. Like they look down on each other. Um, Elliot Gould doesn't really want to be there. No, they they don't really know who Julie Christie is. And, <laughs> It, 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 that's fascinating too and from what i understand it was just that elliot gould and julie christie were in town when they were making the movie and yeah they dropped by to visit yeah they dropped and, by to visit bob and bob said you want to do something and like all right sure apparently george siegel also they shot a scene with george siegel that that, that didn't make the final movie but it oh, wow. exists somewhere yes yeah yeah it's it, i mean there's just so much like you, you said you can't imagine someone watching it for the first time i could tell watching it that oh I'm going to have to see this another five times to get my arms around it. Because, and you still won't. Yeah. And, <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> and I feel like it does no justice watching it at home. Um, 
you know, you know, and I was watching it. We have a good size TV. We have a good ish sound system. But man, what I would give to see this on a big screen with no distractions uh, and, and that sound just like washing over. Like, I would love to just sit and, and have that film like wash over me. And, and you know, I, I can read today that Avatar is coming back in theaters at the end of the year and Titanic's coming back next year. And I'm like, I, I know why Nashville isn't getting a re-release when it hits 53 <laughs> years. But damn, I would love Nashville to get a theatrical re-release in three years. Yes. Yeah. It'd be good. It, it'd be good. I, I, I agree. Um, and we haven't even touched on Jeff Goldblum as like a magical sprite <laughs> who is just appearing at random throughout the movie. He's, he's not one of the 24. And yet he's still there. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't believe he has a single line of dialogue in the movie. Uh, and yet he's, you'll remember him. You'll yeah. remember him. You, he's Because he's, he's incredibly, re- it's not unlike his ones, you know, his, just a couple years later, he's got the one line in Annie Hall. <laughs> and you knew this guy's going to walk away with everything in a few years. It's fantastic. He is more charismatic saying no words in Nashville <laughs> than he is saying multiple words in jurassic world (laughs) dominion uh uh, yeah no i I mean that that's great too um god i i just it it is a movie i i love i I love that we're talking about it and yeah i i agree with you it it is another one of those movies where i'm like well you just kind of got to watch the movie like and you should it's great okay i'm really is i'm gonna put you on the spot yeah and i understand this is a ridiculous question yeah but the answer could be different in a month tomorrow in about 25 minutes what's your favorite performance in the movie oh god you get one and i'm not saying it's the best one again i'm not saying uh, no one should assume this means it's the you know is this better than the rest of them or anything else but what's what sticks with you god let me think about that because that is on the spot oh very much so and you know what if you want to fill time i'll answer it i'll answer you answer it first for me, and this this is this alters every time I see, you know, it's somebody's story is going to catch you when you don't expect each time you go through it. But the last two or three times for me, it's uh it's 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 Ronnie Blakely's turn as Barbara Jean. It's yeah. not to uh, ignoring the fact that she wrote all of the songs she's performing, and those are the best songs in the movie. I, with, with full apologies to I'm easy. I think all of those songs are more interesting and better than I'm easy. And I like I'm easy a lot. Uh, and you don't worry. And uh, that don't worry me. I, both of those written by Keith Carradine are excellent. Uh, but the Ronnie Blakely songs sound like they really shouldn't would have been country hits. <laughs> and like you were saying, really give us that character and her, her, breakdown scene on stage is yes. it is the only moment in the movie that is genuinely horrific <laughs> it's like, like, there are horrible things that happen throughout this movie but that is that is the horror that is the one that's that's where it turns into a horror film for a few minutes where you are watching you are watching the price of celebrity and you are watching you know, you are watching the exhaustion of American popular culture, I think is the bigger thing we're supposed to take from that. It is, you know, this isn't going to help us anymore. We're going to have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. We can't, we're going to have to deal with what's going on in the country straight on. We can't 
always look to our popular culture to get us out of this. And that's, uh, that's even more audacious considering the end of the movie. Yeah. All right. I think, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, I got to say Lily Tomlin. And, oh, yeah. I, and totally I think in a, you know, there's probably a little bit of a balance or, or of a weight there because, uh, you know, we went to the same alma mater. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I think she has that, she has that great scene with her son that I already talked about. Yeah. But there's also this arc in the back half of the movie, and, and it's been threaded through where the Keith Carradine character keeps calling her. And you have this idea that they have like a one night stand or something and it's affected him and he's trying to get back in touch with her. Um, And she has another sequence where she sits there listening to a song that he's singing. And it's this great scene because there are about four or five women in the club. Yeah. yeah, When he's singing the song and they all think the song is about him. Yes. And the song is I'm easy, which he did right. And is, I believe won the Oscar. That's I didn't check that out. I have to look that up, but yes, it was certainly nominated. But yeah, she's you know you you can read all the thoughts going through her mind as she's hearing the song, but then after that, she has another scene with him where he's just doing something totally like douchebaggy. He's he's calling another girl after uh, after she's been in bed with him. He's calling her right in front of her, and you can tell that it both kind of bothers her but also doesn't face her because she's already made her choice. And I, I just think Lily Tomlin's great in that. That scene again. And I, re- it's one of the, this time for me, I remembered that scene differently than how it really plays out when I watched it in this. And I was like, I forgot that, you know, well, she says she's leaving. Mm-hmm. She's, she's leaving. Yeah. It's their, a defensive thing on his part. Yeah. He's not doing it just because he's an asshole. And let's be clear. He's an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, but I forgot that she doesn't react. She really yeah. doesn't. There's not even a, there's not even a quick catch. You're like, yeah, this bothers me, but I'm going to keep going. She doesn't care. And that's fascinating. It's just like, that stays. It's like, oh my, oh, wow. This has not been the scene I expected to see when this started. This has not gone the way I've expected it to go. It is arguably the one moment in which a woman does in the movie just does what they want to do mm-hmm. without question. You know, <laughs> she's, you know, we can argue without the choice is the one she really wants to make, but I, I kind of think it is based on, as you've talked about that scene earlier, uh, you know, she's doing what she chooses to do. And it's something that's also, if you're listening closely, been hinted at one of the songs earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's 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 a spectacular piece of, and again, I'm going to say this: writing. It's a really written scene that you don't you don't go through those beats without knowing that those are the beats that are going to happen, uh, and all you know, all prompted because of yes, uh, "I'm Easy," a song which did win the Oscar for for best original song, the only Oscar that Nashville won. By the way, oh gosh, was it, it was it nominated for best picture? It was okay. All right, it was, all and right. Lily Tomlin was nominated for, and I don't think we've mentioned this, her first film. That was her first film? Yes. Oh my gosh. I did not yes. realize that. I did not realize that for some reason I was thinking she had a long relationship with Robert Altman that started before that, but she just nope. had a long relationship that nope. started after with that. It was supposed to be Louise Fletcher who backed out when they got around to shooting it. And I don't even know how Lily Tomlin ended up. Oh, I, I maybe she only shared a manager. 
I don't remember how it happened, but it was literally that. And of course, Louise Fletcher would go on to, to win the Best Actress Oscar that year for Flo of the Cuckoo's Nest. So, you know, it's fine. <laughs> she made a fine choice. Uh, but that's, you know, this is serendipitous casting 24 or 25 times. There's nobody in this movie that doesn't seem exactly right. The one character we have not talked about is the BBC reporter who might not be a BBC reporter. <laughs> Geraldine Chaplin. Uh, and, and that is such a weird character. Um, <laughs> yes. And I mean that as a compliment because I, I, I started reading up a few essays on this after and everyone seemed to come to the same conclusion, which is you don't know whether she's really a BBC reporter. She could just be some eccentric off the street, but man, she loves being around the famous people and she's also pretty racist but <laughs> pretty racist and and not comfortable talking about uh anybody with any sort of disability yep yeah <laughs> this is this is what we learned about her early on she also does not talk to the service well she's this wonderful you know she is you know she does sir you, you think she's going to be the outsider who allows you to learn who all these people are and she kind of is that's kind of the point, but in no conventional way does she serve that purpose. <laughs> Again, this makes this sound like a movie that has an ordered plot, and it it does, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. There's no stress to get to the next thing, and so Altman is so good at just letting us see these people that that character is that character is so actually superfluous that she can be that weird and maybe not really even a BBC reporter. You couldn't yeah. get away with that otherwise. <laughs> Well, it's kind of interesting. This character exists in a movie that's made about Nashville by people from outside Nashville who are, <laughs> you know, um, w- one other thing I have to say, maybe my final thought on it is I, thinking about this movie, watching this movie, it's really a great reminder of why it's so good to go back and watch old movies because you can just see how what Altman did here has just been run with by so many other directors. And, you oh, know, yeah. I, I love Paul Thomas Anderson. I love Boogie Nights. I love Magnolia. But man, to to understand his career without having seen Altman, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, that's like, I, and he said that, you know, I, I, I've i always Absolutely. heard him say that. But now having seen Nashville, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Um, I don't know if or- it's just that I gravitate toward link later and like him but i watching this reminded me it gave me the same feeling as watching slacker oh um, yeah i mean just oh, that definitely. sense of place that's and, a truly that's truly a film without a plot though yes yes <laughs> but just the sense of place and the people kind of colliding together that yeah. that really felt felt that but i i still feel like watching the original it, it's so eye-opening because as much as I like Paul Thomas Anderson, I can see the effort in all of that. And I'm amazed by the effort. And I think he's great watching this. It felt it. it I could see the construction, but it felt feels effortless and organic. Oh, completely. Yeah. And agreed. Agreed. I, you know, I, and again, nothing to take away from Paul Thomas Anderson, who I, and, I love. Well, and, but... and even if it's not as aesthetically similar, because mm-hmm. it's not, don't discount the effect of Nashville on there will be blood. I mean, you don't, you don't make a, you, you, you look to your hero's grand statement about America. If you want to make a grand statement about America, mm-hmm. I don't know that you try a film like there will be blood unless you have absorbed and love Nashville and what Robert Altman does in that film, even though they are very, I mean, they're, they're not similar in any other way. 
<laughs> but the ambition and the attempt to to capture what you see about this country is is absolutely it's equal. Yeah. Perry, do you have anything else to say about Nashville or anything we can fit into the thing? Because one last right. fun, qu- one last yeah. fun quick thing. Yeah. So if you, if you, this is why you should always pay attention to your opening credits. I don't know if you managed to see, but one of the production assistants on this film is a, is a woman named Maisie Hoy. And Maisie Hoy would go on to, uh, she was a, a sometime actress and uh, she was a production assistant on Nashville, as I said. She would become an editor. And she would not only go on to edit uh, The Player, which is a film that we are going to talk about in a few mm-hmm. months, I'm sure, because it's one of Altman's very best. But she also was the editor on a film uh, we have talked about uh, in the past, a film that I, I dearly love, that now you dearly love too. She was the editor of Smoke. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> a film that could absolutely, although very writerly, because it's coming from Paul Auster, absolutely owes a debt to Altman. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it's, and it's just sheer, it's just sheer clear-eyed humanism. That that's a really good connection. I, I did yeah. not realize they were the same. Um, that makes me feel much better than the uh, the link I made the one time when who was it? Sally Minky was uh, Tarantino's yes uh, editor. editor, right? And, and I realized her first film was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And, exactly. uh, <laughs> so this yeah, is much better. Got to start somewhere. Yeah, and yeah. don't worry, Sally Mankey ended up editing, uh, working very closely with a director I don't like at all. <laughs> Who's that? I'll let you go look it up. I'm not all even. Right. Gonna, I'm not even going to say. Let's just say it's somebody who recently won an honorary Oscar. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I will take a look at that, and we will invite all of our readers to uh, readers. God. We will invite all of our listeners to uh, to look that up on their own too, and email us when they find it out, or tell us at Secret Cinema. Come up in there. Come to Secret Cinema, out. July twenty first. We want to see you. Well, that is Nashville. I am so happy I watched this movie, um, and, and it has been a movie on my list for a long time since I first read Roger Ebert's great movie review about it. Um, so I'm glad I finally got the kick in the butt to uh, to watch that. Um, yeah, we're going to be back in a few weeks. We're going to be back before we do the uh, Secret Cinema. So look for one more from us. We've been talking about a few options there. So we'll be back in the next few weeks. Secret Cinema, July 21st, 7.30 p.m. at the Maple Theater. Get your tickets online there. Perry, in the meantime, where can people find you? You can always find me on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. You can hear me on the Lucianne Lance Show on WLBY, 1290 AM in Ann Arbor. And of course right here on we're watching here with you chris williams chris where can we read your fine work oh you can find my work um well if you you like movie reviews uh i'm writing about once a week at cinema nerds um i'm hoping to uh have something about the black phone this weekend uh i have a newsletter called criticisms that does a little bit more of a deep dive and uh doing some fun stuff there i have I started to do a franchise rewatch of the Jurassic World movies and they broke me so bad I couldn't finish it. Um, But in a few weeks, I will be diving into the Predator series uh, in advance of Prey, the new Predator movie. So obviously, I am living my best life now. So you, you can find me there. You can also find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity and on Facebook at Chrysicisms. We will be back in a few weeks. Until then, take care, Perry. Don't worry me.